I'm Charlie Taylor. I'm Ben Carter, and... And I am director of the fifth element, where I highlight the fifth element of hip-hop. It's knowledge. But get down, get down, get down, get down, dig in, dig in. Conductor, we have a problem. Conductor! Conductor! So, so I, I, Ben sent me, Ben sent me basically a tweet saying that, right? And I was like, no idea what the context was. So I asked, so I was looking about and I was like, right, so it's, it's a producer tag, right? It's Conductor Williams' producer tag, yes. Horrible producer tag. Horrible. No. Like okay. Top five. It's gotten top worse. Top it's gotten five. worse. It's fine. It's a totally fine producer tag. Like there's no nothing wrong with it normally on a Griselda project. But for some reason on this project, the guy who's saying it just gets more and more like <laughs> just really loses his shit a couple of times. And it's really especially in a, on a Griselda project, you know, it's like a very chill vibe. And then yeah, no, it's it's weird. I don't know. I think he I think they went back in and changed some of it. I could be wrong, but the first time I listened to it, I remember being really overwhelmed by... This is the Rome Streets album, by the way. Uh, just being overwhelmed by the, well, uh, the Before wildness. we get to that, before, well, before we jump right in... Oh, go, sorry. Ben. <laughs> hi, Ben. <laughs> What's your favourite cookie? And uh, what have you been to this week? I'll tell you what, man. You can't be a chocolate chip cookie. You I'm can't a double be... chocolate chip guy. I'm no. For, like, the extra... Too much chocolate. Just like the base, triple chocolates overdoing it. You know what I mean? Triple chocolate's so cheap. What's double a triple chocolate. What do they do with that? What's on, what's in that? Two different well, types. Chocolate. Of... It's just it, double chocolate. It's just like so. Regular chocolate chip cookie is like regular cookie, like cookie with dough, chips, but yeah. obviously with chocolate chips in it. Double chocolate chip is also chocolate dough. Like, yes, that makes any sense. Yes, and then triple chocolate. I I assume it's well, it's it's it's. Two types of chocolate, chocolate chips, chips in there, so it's triple. Hence triple. So like a dark I feel like chocolate chip, a bit OD. Yeah. dark chocolate chip, and a yeah. white chocolate chip. Yeah, 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 yeah. Shout out to cookies. Shout out to cookies. Uh, yeah, man. This week, this week, lots of music. Not the internet yeah. cookies. Fuck those. Say. So not the internet cookies. Fuck those. What's an internet? Co- oh yeah, no, we don't. We don't fuck yeah, with those. Yeah. If you'd if you'd, cookies. if you'd said that like fifteen years ago, people would be like, what? They just say like every time you're on a website, they're gonna ask if they can have like the name of your firstborn child, even though it's not even born yet. You'd be like, "What? What the fuck?" But yeah, man, they want that shit from you. They need that. That's that juicy, juicy data. Um, <clears throat> yeah, man, it's, it's fucking nasty. But we, what was not nasty? I'll get my radio, my radio segment. What was not nasty this week was Ooh. the release schedule. There was so much Ooh. great music that came out. Uh, we had I, I, the aforementioned Rome Streets. Um, yeah, man, the Conductor Williams. I love Conductor Williams. I put him on the uh, producer freshman list last year, I think. He's he's in his, like, I think he's in his 40s now. But he really only glowed up recently, um, the last couple of years. But the Rome Streets project is good. I'm just not the biggest Rome Streets fan. I'm not his biggest, uh, I don't know, it's just his voice for some reason. It just doesn't sit with me 
as much as some of the other artists in this realm but the it's just the wild amount of slang terms on this project like i would defy you to tell me that you understood more than 50 percent of what rome streets was talking about because yeah i didn't understand like half that shit man it's amazing it's an amazing project the lyricism is great um i really like his energy on it uh benny was great on it say Ben, it, it, you're just—it's it, not made for you, right? No, it's not made for me. It's not for <laughs> it's me not at all. Me. It's absolutely not made for me, and I fully, I fully recognise that. Is <laughs> what—it's not for me. But no, that was good. It was really good. Baldy James came through with a great guest verse. Uh, Westside Gun, of course. It's a Griselda project, man. It's, it's Griselda. It's going to be great. Um, let's just run through them here. Prodigy dropped a, a posthumous tape, uh, or the tape was dropped for him posthumously. It's okay. It's okay. I don't really like it when Prodigy goes into the relationship bag, the lovey bag, the kind of sensitive bag. And there's a couple of tracks on here that really toe the line there. There's a track with Faith Evans on here that I did not enjoy. There's a track with Big Daddy Kane. It's fucking fire, man. Uh, when he gets back into that like mid-90s, late-90s energy, and that's kind of what happened in the middle of Mob Deep's career, you know, in the, the mid-2000s, kind of what happened to Prodigy is why they fell off the map a little bit when they try to go into a different direction. And that's one thing I will say, like, you know, about Wu-Tang, for example, like, you know, all the way through the 2000s, they were just making the same kind of stuff they were making in the 90s, and people were loving it. Prodigy and Havoc tried to switch it up a little bit and it didn't work, and... It was a bit disappointing to hear that switch up again here uh, because it doesn't need to be that way. Like, this is posthumous now. You know, it's not trying to chart. It's not trying to sell records. It's just out of love of Prodigy. And, yeah, man, um, it was nice to hear his voice again. But, again, you know how I feel about posthumous projects. I don't really fuck with them. Uh, Kid Cudi's up next. Wow. Uh, <laughs> this, was a, this was a beautiful project, man. I put it on when I went for a run the other day. I ran 12Ks. And... Um, Normally, I would put on something pretty intense. Like, I, I've been listening to Buster Rhymes, Extension Level Event 2, a lot. Extinction, Extinction Level Event. But Enter Galactic is not that. It is such a chill, warm vibe. It is it is calm. Uh, Cuddy is completely different to Man on the Moon 3. You know, Man on the Moon 3 had some bangers. He was rapping. You know, he really went back into that first album energy and tried to create a true hip-hop album, a rap album. This is absolutely not that. It's more aligned, I think, with... It's kind of like a blend between Passion, Pain, and Demon Slaying and Speeding Bullet to Heaven. Uh, but don't let that turn you off because, you know, it's not rock. There's, it's all synths. It's all, you know, hip-hop based. It's all R&B based. And Cuddy just sounds beautiful on here. He sounds delicate and sensitive, but he still sounds like he's self-assured. He sounds like he knows exactly the direction he wants to go. Uh, he is in control of his mental health. He's in control of the journey that he's on. Even though it's not always a pleasant journey, he's in control of it. And uh, yeah, I, I really enjoyed that. I'm going to be going back to that a lot. People have been DMing me and saying how much it's affecting them and, and impacting them. So it's it's a very emotional listen. Definitely not made for the charts, this one. I don't think there's any real bangers on there. Um, <coughs> I do what I want. Excuse me, I just got a bit of peanut butter stuck in my throat. I do what I want was, a, was probably the track that's going to blow up the most. But yeah, great project. Uh, we had a new one for Baby Tate. It's not bad. When she raps, I really I really just want her to rap. When she sings, maybe I'm just not in the mood for singing at the moment. R&B kind of like, you know, it's just too poppy for me. It's just too poppy for me when she does it. It's just, 
I don't know, man, just stick to rapping. She's fucking incredible when she raps. It's, half this project is amazing. I really enjoy it. It's quite a long project. It was longer than I anticipated. Um, the track with 2 Chains is really good too. So I thought that was worth your time, definitely. Oh, gosh, there's a lot of projects on here, man. Uh, we got Freddie Gibbs. Freddie Gibbs sold, sold separately. So I actually heard this a couple of months ago. Um, and I only got to listen to it once and I didn't get to like save it. I didn't get to record it. I just got to sit in a big room and listen to it. And it really hit me because no phones, nothing. We just sat there and we just listened to the entire project front to back. Um, and what I really like about this project is, and I said this to a few people, I said it on this, on the down low, uh, in posts, I didn't DM anyone, but in posts, I was like, this is going to be his opus. And I really do think it is. I think it brings together every aspect of Freddie's career so far. You know, before he linked up with Madlib, Freddie was making like Jeezy type music. He really was in the late 2000s. He was just making that kind of music and he just kind of bounced around a, a bunch of different styles until the Madlib connection came up. Uh, and I spoke about it somewhere. I wrote it down somewhere about how that came up. But from there, obviously, he pivoted into his his collaboration with Currency on Covert Coop, Scotty Pippins. That allowed him to then have an entire project with Alchemist. So the last few projects have been, you know, helmed by absolute freaking legends and people who, two producers who create, you know, perfect vistas, entire projects for rappers uh, and like really like match the mood to the rapper's content. So to have this project, this is a difficult project for Freddie to pull off. There's a bunch of different producers on here, a bunch of different sounds. This is a major label album. This is an album that's got a freaking single with Moneybag Yo that was pretty bad. Like they were trying to hit radio with that. They were trying to hit, you know, 100 million streams on that. That's a big track that they were trying to blow up. So Freddie's trying to navigate all this whilst keeping his content in the same realm that it's always been, which is, you know, Alchemist and Madlib aren't making just Blaze beats. They're not making Kanye West beats. They're making, you know, Griselda type beats. And I'm not saying that I'm not saying that as a dig and saying that they're ripping off Griselda. I'm saying Griselda ripping off them. Like that's that's their vibe. So for Freddie to like morph from that and then continue to keep his like essence and his unique selling point from the last few projects coming into this. I think it's brilliant and he gets super personal in here and that's one thing that I've always wanted from Freddie is to tell us about how these things made him feel and he does do that sometimes but on this project he really dives deep into his own psyche and the trauma that he's experienced from all the different things he's seen and he tells us the things he's seen then he tells us what it felt like afterwards and it's a beautiful freaking album man it really is it's it's a journey it's it's definitely a journey it's a it's a narrative it's a story it's a concept um, I think I don't think it's his best album, of course, but I do think it's impressive the way he pulled off such a difficult task for him to to corral all of these different things. And you you know I've seen criticism of Freddie Gibbs before where people are like, well he's just he's just the rapper man. Like his producer carries him, his producer delivers him the aesthetic and the sound, and all he has to do is turn up to the studio and spit some decent bars. That's not this on this, man. He's the glue that holds this entire thing together. And it shows that he's capable of taking it to the next level as an artist and being the one who like really defines where he's going to go in the next five or six years in his career. So 
yeah, man, that's a, that's a really, really good project. I haven't seen people talking about it as much as I thought, but yeah, man, good project. And finally, Baldy James, Nicholas Craven. Yeah, great project. Uh, Nicholas Craven is just a great producer. He's really glowing up. In the last 12 months, some of the production credits he's gotten, he's just on par, man, with a lot of the really top-tier producers in the game. And there's some upbeat tracks on here as well, which is really not normal for Baldy James. You know, it's normally like very little percussion, very kind of dingy, dusty beats. But yeah, there's, there's a couple of tracks on here that are quite uplifting. Uh, some triumphant horns on there and... Yeah, Baldy just sounds like Baldy. He just keeps time as a lyricist. It's great. Again, similar to Rome Streets where there's a lot of slang terms that, you know, if you know, you know, and I don't know. So I'm just sitting there like, oh, okay, cool. I don't know what that means, but, you know, it sounds sick. So, yeah, man, this is, it's a good project. I really enjoyed it. Oh, gosh, that was me, Charlie. What about yourself? All right, so... Going to nine projects once again. I feel like you guys need to step up your game, man. Get on my level because um, I've been doing this for the past three weeks. So I'm on a I, new I, level. I'm on it. I'm on it. I'm yeah, on it. I'm on it. Project, no time to listen to. It's like, all right, well, you know, I can't. I can't. <sighs> must suck to not be me, eh? All right, starting off with the uh, Soul Chef. Moving forwards, um, just one of my favorite, uh, just instrumental uh, producers uh, out in the game. Always has these uh, just bright bold uh summary most of the time uh beats um this is a nice little instrumental ep um better days ahead clarity another summer especially those three tracks only five tracks 16 minutes so it's not too long um but yeah it's just a nice nice little care package shout to soul chef uh denzel curry mount i see a future uh, expanded edition now i really i don't think i've ever actually talked about a deluxe edition um album on this show and the reason why is because I just feel like most of the time people just add a few tracks that they that didn't make the cutting room floor. And it's just like, okay. And, <laughs> you know what I mean? But I feel like this one is an actual genuine addition to what was already provided. And they all have a um, cold-blooded soul version, which is um, just what they're called. Uh, on the expanded edition and uh you know they're very jazzy um band uh band behind him um and it's low-key just some of the tracks are just better for it better off for it um apart from maybe walking i prefer the uh cold-blooded solid versions of the tracks he's provided here uh x-wing is great on there um there is one called larger than life as well which is obviously a fresh one uh, and that's also good yeah troubles mental like it just adds a whole different uh vibe to it and uh i for one fuck with it heavy um especially with the inspirations he was providing uh, i think he did a, a few tweets about the expanded edition obviously having the uh, uh, uh just the inspirations of like cowboy bebop and stuff like that it really fits it really fits like a glove you can really just see the effort put in um, in terms of just having that uh, particular tone and achieving that tone, um, so yeah, man, shout to Denzel on that front. Really, really appreciate and really enjoyed that uh, that particular listen. Uh, Umi, uh, Forest in the City. Uh, so this dropped in mid May or the end of May, um, and just to and I uh, just uh, just caught it uh, in the past couple of past couple of weeks. Um, but yeah, this is really nice, really nice, um, really nice breezy uh, R and B contemporary R and B. Uh, kind of like bedroom jams kind of thing. Um, 15 minutes, 15 songs, very bulky, um, but there's just some really good stuff in here. Um, I feel like it's a really 
really nice fleshed out album. Uh, I don't think it's one of those things where you just pick out a track and pick out your favourites. It's it's a it's a nice body of work. I I, I appreciate that. So a shout out to Umi on that one. Uh, Joy Amui, uh, spelled with two O's and an I at the end. Uh, what can't, what's around the corner, side A. So uh, she comes through some really... I feel like I remember this with her previous work. Um, it's, it's been a while. Um, but um, she comes through with some really nice uh, uh, eclectic and uh, uh, and varied, um, especially, uh, uh, songs. Um, none of them are really kind of the same. There's always something different whenever you come to a new track. Uh, there's always some good stuff there. But yeah, I really, really like this one. Sun Waves, uh, Did Enough with Elijah Waters was really nice. Roselle at the end. Um, it's just some really good stuff here. Um, really good stuff. Uh, about uh, 26 minutes, nine songs. So yeah, pretty, pretty EP-ish. But um, I don't know how to... <laughs> uh, I'll, I'll leave that for whatever. Uh, Prodigy, the Hegelian, he- he- Hegelian Dialectic 2, the Book of Heron. Um Yeah, so... I echo Ben's sentiments on the on the particular album. Um, it's fine. It's, it's cool. Um, if you want to listen to Prodigy, there you go. You got it. Um, just, just I, I just don't, I don't want stuff like Overdose. I'm sorry. I just don't want that. Don't want that with Remy Moore on there. Just don't like it. Um, I don't make him come. I make him catch the Holy Ghost. Got her hitting up my line for another dose. All night I'll be on it till she comatose. No, thank you. No, no thank you. I'm not, not not what we're here for. Um, definitely not. Um, but you know, past that, um, like I said, the Big Daddy Kane feature. Um, yeah, it's just uh, just some really good stuff. Uh, DJ Premier on Walkout. Uh, um, I like the uh, Berto Rich uh, features as well. And we Shine and You'll See. I really like that. Nice little uh, change of pace. Um, good stuff on there. Uh, dope as well. Really good track. Uh, but yeah, you know, it's Prodigy. If you want some Prodigy in your life, go for it. Um, I I think Havoc announced that there's another one coming. And also another Mob Deep project. Um, so that's uh, something to look forward to if you're into that. Um, so yeah, shout out to Prodigy, of course. R.I.P. Uh, Freddie Gibbs sold sold separately. Um, so I've been kind of a wet blanket when it comes to Freddie Gibbs. Whenever I spin him, I always just feel like... I mean, you, you said it. I'm that guy. I'm that guy that feels like he gets carried by the great production that he's around. And um, I stick by that. I still stick by that, to be honest. Um, but, you know, I feel like this is this is good. I like this. This is okay. Um, some good stuff here. Um, I love the variety in subject matter. Um, stuff like, for tracks like uh, 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 Dark Hearted, absolutely crazy track um, in terms of just subject matter and what he's saying on that. Um, really deep. Um, really enjoyed that. Pretty much the end of the album, I'm really enjoying. After PYS, I'm really enjoying all of that. Dark High, Gold Rings of Pusha T, uh, Grandma Stove with Music Soul Child, CIA, which is hilarious uh, in terms of just what he uh, uh, judges CIA, the initials. Uh, and also decoded with Scarface. I mean, you can't miss. You can't miss with the Scarface feature. Even Lobster Omelette with Mr. Mr. Rick Ross coming through. Um, actually, didn't mind it. Did not mind it at all. Um, it fits the it fits the bill of what the track is about. I can't complain. Uh, but still, but it's still fuck uh, Rick Ross. Um, but yeah, you know. Uh, but then there's stuff like Zipper Bags and Too Much. Those two particular tracks just really annoy me. This is where I'm just like, I don't get you guys with liking Freddie Gibbs so hard because why does he sound like he's got a gun to his head and they told him to rap faster than he actually can? It, why does it sound like he's running out of breath on his own you track? You don't like this fast rap name, man. You don't like it. It's weird. Why does he sound out of breath on to, on too much? It's weird. Like, can you not? If you can't do it in one take, that's fine. You know, there's plenty. There's plenty of rappers that can't do it, right? 
but you sound like you're struggling. Like, retake it. Like, like you got time, retake the thing. Like, it's just crazy to me. But yeah, those two tracks skip for me. But um, past that, solid, solid album. Can't complain. Uh, Kick Cardi Enter the Galactic. Really, really like this album. Um, as a uh, as a announcement, we're actually going to do a Kid Cudi retrospective after October. Um, so you know, look forward to that. Um, and um, yeah, I really like this album. I haven't seen the film. Um, I probably won't. I haven't been on Netflix in like a year, uh, so I don't see this uh, bringing me to that. But um, yeah, it's a really good, really good um, album. Really, uh, I love the subject matter, especially just the relationship, uh, 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 relationship content. Um, I love the production, really airy, really uh, kind of, uh, gets a bit sci-fi-y in some places, um, as you as you can imagine with um, Kid Cudi, who's done plenty of moon uh, moon, st- uh, moon stuff, uh, moon-related uh, content, space-related content. But yeah, really enjoyed it, really, really enjoyed it. Um, a lot of the features as well, um, maybe not Don Tolliver, but yeah, uh, the title assigned ones are really good. But yeah, really good, really good stuff, really good stuff. Uh, minor shout out to uh, Patrice Russian um, <laughs> randomly because uh, she's dropped her. She's dropped her. Um, well, I don't. Know, she you know personally dropped it, but yeah. um, Pizzazz and Patrice, her self-titled album, have uh, dropped as remasters. Oh, give it a spin, just um, if you want some classic uh, '70s funk. Hell yeah, run up by Manny. Um, last two, Rudy Creswick, different forms. Um, one of my favorite jazz albums this year. Uh, just some really, really fucking nice stuff all over this. Um, Emma V on Sometimes, Manny on Peace of Mind, Barney Artist on Holding the Fence, Berwin Fuck on 96 RP, uh, BPM, which is which is, which is uh, the latter one, very short, it's under two minutes, but it's just really, really, um, it's just got this really calm vibe to it, uh, really minimal production, but Berwin just goes off on a freaking... Uh, on a poetic standpoint of how he, uh, of what he's saying on there, it's just really fucking good stuff. But yeah, the features outstanding. Um, it's via um, Sakita Records. Um, I think Alphamis is uh, in print. Uh, so we have um, uh, Chelsea Carmichael on tenor sax. Uh, Maurice Gray, I think is his name. Yeah, uh, uh, Sheila Maurice Gray, I think that is on trumpet. Uh, Barrel Jones on drums. Jay Sphinx. Uh, this is via IG, so I'm just going to read their ads, to be honest. Johnny Wooden, there you go, on trumpet. Uh, Jackson, Stephen Oliver on synths. An Alphamist on keys. Toby Tripp on, st- uh, Toby Tripp on strings. And A.V. What, what is that? A.V. Barraf, um also there on synths. But yeah, really good stuff. Um, love that. Love that. Um, definitely on the long list for, uh, for the album list. And lastly, Camilla George. Sex, sex stuff, sex addicts over here. Um, Ibio, Ibio, I think that's what it's called. Um, again, outstanding fucking jazz album. Uh, UK jazz bringing it back again. Um, uh, Sanity. I was looking up. I was just like, who the fuck? I've heard this person before, and it's formerly known as Lady Sanity, who was um on my EP list and I think songs list last year. She's uh, changed her name a little bit to Just Sanity. And uh, she comes through in a few tracks here um, uh, at the start, middle, and end. Really just breaks up the album really nice. Uh, but past that, you've got stuff like Ek Pei, uh, Uk Pong, which is absolutely amazing. Uh, Abasi Enyong, uh, absolutely outstanding. I forget, I forget which one of the latter two has this beautiful piano slash uh, saxophone kind of chemistry going on. Oh, just creamy, fucking creamy. Um, 39, 39 minutes, eight tracks. Um, really highly uh, uh big that one up um definitely those last two albums just on definitely lock that in on the long list uh for the albums uh which i'm starting to um think about uh, more often obviously because um now october which brings us to our topic for this episode 
Um, happy UK BHM, ladies and gentlemen. UK Black History Month is October, not Halloween, for the because that's one day. Stop fucking celebrating it as if it's a monthly thing. Please go touch grass. Um, but yeah, it's UK Black History Month, and uh, if you haven't spun the uh, past two, I think two year we've done it. I think we've done it for a year or two. I forget. Um, but you know we're doing it again. That's for sure. And uh, yeah, so throughout the month of October, we're going to be doing uh, retrospectives on British artists, on Black British artists, and we're starting uh, with a historic group that is probably never heard of um, via the name of Cookie Crew, um, which is a, a female duo uh, from the uh, mid '80s, late '80s. And, um, yeah, outstanding, interesting story, I'll say, excuse me, um, but yeah, kind of pioneers in some way, but in some ways not, but we'll get into that. Ben, what have you got for us today? Yeah, Cookie Crew. Cookie Crew credited as being the first female rap group to gain exposure in the UK and some of the first female rappers to be seen by a wider audience outside of America. They actually became pioneers through their abrasive, socially conscious lyrics and, uh, in an interview with FND, Debbie Price, a.k.a. MC Remedy, was asked if they were tempted to exploit their sexuality to sell, sell more records, and she replied, exploit our sexuality? We didn't have a sexuality to exploit. It wasn't even on our agenda. And I find that really interesting and an interesting place to start um, because, you know, in the same interview, Cookie Price says coming up as females in a male-dominated dominated industry wasn't challenging or difficult for them, she said. The impact they would have on younger female rappers, though, uh, is important in the UK. You know, their own journey starts from mimicking female rappers from the US, Shah Rock, Lisa Lee, Debbie D. Uh, Remedy would travel to New York in the 1980s with her family and record the radio and bring it home and share it with the Cookie Crew, which was actually the Cookie Crew began as a loose collective of friends with around 12 or 13 members, and they all connected through their love of music, specifically hip-hop music, and that American influence, which we will talk about, extended to them talking to each other in American accents and actually calling themselves the warm milk and cookie crew because they believed that was a common term in America and it kind of was in the you know that was what it was assumed like warm milk and cookies like I don't know why that became an American thing but it was in Australia we thought warm milk and cookies was an American thing too but it was really only MC Remedy and Susie Q who were taking rap seriously although they didn't actually know it at the time the records that they combed through together in the import section at their local stores were influencing them heavily. And one day in the kitchen, whilst listening to the message, fuck man, I, I don't. It's it's impossible to do this. I would love to just somehow catalog every single artist who was inspired to rap because of the message. Like it must be, and then like extrapolate that it's out. Like it's definitely up there. Yeah, every artist who was then inspired by someone who was inspired by the message, like 80% of the rap game came from the message, yeah. you know, it's just wild. But yeah, so they were they were listening to the message and they agreed to write their own rap together. Now, hip hop was already exploding in London, uh, but not like massive on a, on a mainstream scale. It was definitely underground. They said that in a park near their house, a local hip hop scene was already beginning to develop with breakdancing, graffiti and ciphers. The two MCs would head down there and test out their rhymes for an audience. And they were unaware that there weren't any other women in their vicinity doing the same thing. They told the vicinity, uh, they told the vicinity, they told the Guardian, uh, we had no clue because we saw American girls doing it. We were listening to female rappers like Shah Rock, Lisa Lee and Debbie D and we were influenced by them. There were a lot of rappers out there in the UK at the time, all male, but we did see Michelle Devitt, also known as Mystery MC of Family Quest. 
We saw her rapping on stage. She was freestyling and she blew us away. The first female rapper that we had seen from England. Now, the Cookie Crew's popularity exploded via a total chance encounter with BBC London, BBC Radio London, sorry, who had come down to record at Battersea Town Hall. Now, the Cookie Crew were hanging out with their friends and a beat with a beatbox, just dropping some bars here and there. And so the radio presenter came up to them and asked what they did, and they proudly proclaimed that they were rappers. And this actually led them to getting booked for a few local shows and community events. And they began their live performance journey just based off this, uh, which I find really interesting. I guess back then there weren't that many rappers, especially you know teenage girls who were rapping. So I guess it was a bit of an anomaly being like, oh, okay, that's that's cool, that's interesting. So 1985 was their big break. Uh, Tim Westwood was running a competition close by for hip-hop artists, and the prize was a recording contract and some money in their pockets. And it was actually the boys from this park that they were rapping at every, you know, every weekend who convinced them to enter. They told The Guardian, we saw all the rappers that were taking part and thought, okay, we'll go back next weekend and take our name off the list because this is looking really hard and we're not sure. But the night came and we thought we're just going to go there and do it because it doesn't matter. I remember the stage being so big that they had to lift Debbie up on it. We rapped over Africa Bambada and the Soul Sonic Forces Planet Rock and it was fast. It was so fast. Basically, we killed it. We could see all the guys from Battersea who came with us, who were our support network. The crowd was just going crazy. When they made the announcement on the night we won, it was like our feet didn't touch the ground. It was a complete blur. So in a total fucking boss move... They took the 200 pound prize money, but they refused the recording contract. Price actually said they went in for the meeting, but came out unsure because they knew nothing about the industry and the business. Their goal was to stay local and to build an underground buzz. And despite this early refusal to adhere to the industry norms, they were actually offered a slot on Africa Bombarda show when he was touring with DJ Red Alert and one of their idols, Lisa Lee. So DJ Red Alert, of course, everyone knows, absolute legend in hip hop radio. He's credited as breaking both Tribe Called Quest and Queen Latifah. And of course, he broke South Bronx by Boogie Down Productions, which is a story that we told on the Shantae episode, which is a fucking legendary story. It's a wild story. But the Cookie Crew were like sponges. They were soaking up all the goodwill and advice the industry had to offer. Lisa Lee watched them rehearse for this show, and she gave them notes, which they took away, perfected, and then they returned and tore the stage down at that performance. Now, being on Tim Westwood's radar... Whilst it's admittedly fraught with danger oh, in the oh, present day, free word. Yeah, yeah. It's the, you don't want to. <laughs> I mean, people wanted to be on Tim Westwood's radar until they were on Tim Westwood's radar, and they're like, "Wait a sec, I don't, I don't, oh, I don't know. It's right. not where." Yep. Yep. Anyway, like, right. if you don't know what I'm talking about, just Google Tim Westwood and underage <laughs> girls. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I don't know. Tim Westwood underage girls. We'll find out more. Yeah. <laughs> But this was like, this in 1980s in London, this was a shot in the arm for any young MC's career. Even though they never actually expected anything to come from this talent show victory, they got a call from the Beatmasters, which was a, le- a UK electronic act looking for their first hit. And at the time, they were actually producing TV commercials and wanted to transition into music. And the Cookie Crew was their first call. Now, Cookie Crew told Music Business Worldwide, they said, we went down to see them and we did a few TV spots with them. Through that, we realized that we enjoyed working together in their studio. We just bonded. At the time when we did shows, we were still rapping over cassette tapes. And we told them it would be good to have some original music like backing tracks. Then they created this backing track and they wanted us to write a rap to it. And what we wrote became Rock the House, uh, which turned into this beast and became known as the first ever hip house track 
the first ever. Now, hip house is a very dirty word of this podcast, but most sources do point to the UK scene in the mid to late 80s as being the genesis of the subgenre, which makes perfect sense. The dance scene was beginning to explode in different parts of the UK, but whomever came up with it first, Quickie Crew, they hit the hardest. The initial release of that track only managed to go 79 on the UK charts, which is still huge for two previously unknown artists, Cookie Crew and Beatmasters. They, they never charted before. But the remix, which released six months later, shut it down, man. Number five on the UK chart. Uh, it charted worldwide. Ireland, Netherlands, Belgium, France, Australia, New Zealand. It was a nightclub staple. And the Cookie Crew told Guardian, Rock the House was kind of like an accident. Beatmasters put together this backing track we went away and wrote a rap to it. The track had more of a hip hop bass, but after they mixed it and they played with it, it somehow turned into this house sounding track. I think they started playing in the clubs. We were very adamant for them not to associate us with the track. They had ownership of it and we said, whatever you want to do with it, it's yours, not our, not ours. Now, Cookie Crew didn't like the record. You know, nowadays we're so used to hip hop encompassing every other genre, even country music. So the song doesn't sound like much of a departure you know, from some of the stuff as Lee Banks did at the start of last decade, or even Nicki Minaj with Starships. But back in the 1980s, I guess you could kind of see why a rapper may not want to be associated with it. It's almost like they provide additional vocals to a house track. They told The Guardian, Radio 1 used to do the chart rundown every week, and they'd phone up the artist live and have a conversation and talk about the record. We went live on air and basically said, we don't like the record, it's not us. We were honest, but the record still did its thing, and it became this track that we just couldn't get rid of. It's not a record that we are proud of, but I'm grateful for it. Looking back, we could have probably dealt with it a bit more strategically, but we were just a couple of girls from South London. We loved hip hop. Now, have you heard, you've heard the track, right, Charlie? Like, how do you feel about everything I just said? Because I find that really interesting. I feel um, that when it comes to something um, such as hip house um, and just the, um, and the origins of it and whatever, uh, I don't know. I just, I, just, I I guess this um in with my uh with with hindsight being twenty twenty, I don't see like why uh they would uh, have much beef with it and just you know straight up say they don't like it. Um, if it ain't them, it ain't them. But then again, when we get to the album, there's definitely some hip house on there. So it, it, I don't. I I I'm a bit. A little bit confused on that front um, in terms of why, um, or, 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 or of them not liking it in general, um, since they clearly had um, some form of uh, just um, uh, implementing it in their own work. So um, I don't know. It's a bit. It's, it's a bit. Um, I f- I found that a bit confusing uh, mm. to be honest on that front. But yeah, I think it's a bit nasty the way that they spoke about it. I think. I mean, as we progress through this episode, I'm just kind of like, really, this is this is what you're upset about? Like, you did some other stuff too. Like, why would you be upset about this? Like, this was probably the most authentic right, and yeah. genuine London thing that they did. So, anyway, we'll get to it. We'll talk about it. Um, at the same time, That's the cook, at the same time the song was blowing up, Cookie Crew met their future manager Gene Davenport who at the time was booking US rappers for their UK shows. Now they convinced her to manage them and alongside her sister-in-law, Mary McLennan, the two women helped the rap duo navigate the murky world of recording contracts and music business. They told Music Business Worldwide, we'd be in these meetings with lawyers and label heads and we'd be sitting on the sofa while Jean and Mary were up front. And let me tell you, those two women were tough. 
They didn't take shit from nobody. People try to take the piss, manipulate them, but you can't fuck with Gene and Mary, let me tell you. And so they signed to London Records, and they only have kind words to say in recent years about that. In the same interview I just quoted, they said, Pete Tong was our A&R, and we had a good relationship with our label, and we just made sure we delivered. Out of all the labels we sat with, London Records felt like a right home for us because they listened. We told them exactly what we wanted to do. We said we do not want to make more music like Rock the House, even though I'm sure they would have loved that. The deal was with London and through Polygram Worldwide. So even traveling to the US and slotting into that culture whilst retaining our British identity was fun and challenging at some points because we refused to be controlled or told what to wear. We just wanted to be us, a couple of girls from South London who do what we want to do. But yes, at the same time, we will deliver what needs to be delivered. So whilst they're in the US, they linked up with legends like Stetsasonic and Gangstar. But as The Guardian put it out, put out, pointed out, sorry, they didn't really go full American. They did connect back home to South London at times. Uh, Price told The Guardian, we've always stayed true to our roots because we were very patriotic about London and about South London in particular. All the narratives on the tracks are based around our experiences, even though the delivery might have had an American tone because that was our reference point. Our subject matters were very, very British. When we were in New York, we were proud of being British. We also felt we were educating them about what was going on outside the US. A lot of people we met didn't realize that there were actually black people in England because not many people had passports back then and they weren't traveling. We were educating them on who we were, being British, but British Caribbean too. Uh, and from this came their first album, Born This Week. Yeah, so um, I must say, um, as uh, I mean, this is very, it's just kind of one of those albums that you think is has dropped is has been dropped or was dropped earlier than the actual year was mm. dropped. <laughs> but uh, this was dropped in nineteen eighty nine. Uh, but it doesn't sound like it. it sounds uh, as if it was nineteen eighty four ish, that kind of era. Um, but yeah, past that, um, I personally um, enjoy the record most of the time. Um, I mean, when you have the audacity to no, well, I say that. I say that nicely. When you have the audacity to uh, sample one of my favorite jazz, not just records, but rec- uh, but songs in Places and Spaces by Donald Byrd, that's a dub for me, ladies and gentlemen. That's a dub for me. Um, so yeah, uh, Places and Spaces for Your Mind is just one of my. <laughs> it's just automatically one of my favorite tracks of the eighties. Um, absolutely tough, but overall, I just really. I really appreciate um, a the production. I think the production is, um, while you know, some would say outdated by that point, um, is just still top notch. Um, it's still really good. Um, apart from that one track, I forget what it was because I, I didn't have um, the timings with me uh, on me. But um, it was somewhere in the middle. It might be um, might have been born this way or got to keep on one of the two. Um, but yeah, there's was, was kind of just like this. Um, like I said, hip house clubby beat. Um, going on with one of the tracks, um, kind of reminded me of Planet Rock actually. Ever since we're talking about African Bambar, very reminded me much of Planet Rock, um, and just having that, um, you know, just kind of like like body popping kind of shit going on. Um, but past that, yeah, it's really good. Um, and for them as performers, I it kind of boggles the mind, right? Because they come through with just really fucking good confidence, like um, mm. like salt and pepper level, just like you know through the diaphragm like powerful uh voices i really respect that 
Um, just the way they, the way they just bang out these, uh, bang out these lyrics. Lyrically solid, right? You know, l- solid lyrics. Um, really calm on that front. Um, I, I, I don't mind that. But yeah, I guess the crux of it, and this is kind of just the issue with uh, Cookie Crew as a whole, is you know, like you said, they use American hip hop as a reference point. But <laughs> as we'll get into, um, that's not always for the better. Like you don't. You don't see French hip hop artists, for example, um, you know, trying to sound American, right? They they sound French. <laughs> you know what I mean, even with you know, we did London Posse um, last year, um, and was oh, two years ago, I forget. Anyway, but yeah, we did London Posse before, and you know, Rodney P and them sounded like they were from London, um, and Cookie Crew does not, even though, and this is what kind of kind of comes to jar me personally when I'm listening to it is that they have several just little uh little parts throughout the album where it's just them talking and they sound like they're from South London uh but then the track comes on and it's like it's like wait what you're just switching up you switched up your whole flow it's I feel like the just imagine um I'm trying. I'm trying to think of like a contemporary UK artist, right? But like, imagine just the likes of uh, Dave, for example, right? Just coming through, you know, with his. Uh, you know, obviously, he has some. I'm. I'm assuming American inspirations. Imagine if he tried to sound like his American inspirations, right? It just. It would just come off as weird, right? Um, and yeah, I. I. I mean, I'll let. I'll leave you to get onto that. Uh, that point when we get to it, but um, yeah, it. That's the only. That's the only you know, just a critical and especially in in the scope of a retrospective is the only thing that's a bit of a letdown to have a really genuinely talented um, uh, duo and very talented MCs in the Cookie Crew. Um, but, you know, they kind of take the, they take the inspirations too much to heart, um, which, you know, we've, we, I'm sure many people have, um, uh, put on several artists not in terms of tone or how they talk but you know in terms of music and the production you know it's like oh this guy this guy's trying to sound like this person oh this guy's trying to sound like this person and you know they they're kind of trying to sound like salt and pepper um on this and um you know it is what it is um you know just have to take that um but past that if you manage to get past that i personally really enjoyed the album again the production um the lyrics is is fine and uh, yeah, just really good, really, really solid album overall. Solid album. Yeah, it's a good album, man. I I, I enjoy it too. Uh, I echo your sentiments. Um, I mean, obviously they had they had legendary producers Daddio and DBC on board for this project. Uh, of course, from Stetson Sonic fame. Uh, he actually told Daddio, told an interviewer a few fascinating things about the record. I want to highlight. He says. Uh, let me say one thing. The Cookie Crew album was one of the most fun projects I ever did. Those two girls delivered everything I expected. Plus, we got to do some stuff musically I've wanted to do for a long, long time. Walking, working with the Cookie Crew, I was having flashbacks to those old Grandmaster Flash tapes that I used to listen to before I started making records. I was thinking of all those breaks that Flash and then were cutting up on those tapes. And all those same breaks I was able to use on the Cookie Crew album. <clears throat> I was able to be more up-tempo with my production on that project. But I just had an incredible amount of fun doing that album. That kind of sounds like, yeah, I mean, that's like 70s, you know, like early 80s stuff, you know, it's this kind of energy. Um, He actually contextualized the record in a very interesting way. 
he said this. He said, The Cookie Crew album was done with me and DBC. The way that whole record came about was through Lisa Cortez, who's now in film, but she was working at Rush and started this thing called Rush Producer Management, RPM. Uh, paid in full. Some paid in full reference there. We're going to go with Rush. Basically, the whole idea was that they could have had this whole other stream of income because they had groups like Stetsasonic with producers like Daddy O and Prince Paul, Public Enemy, who had the Bomb Squad, Grandmaster D out of Houdini, and a few other people they were grabbing who were either the DJ or the production arm of groups that Rush was already managing. But when the Cookie Crew album first dropped, we got a really good first review here in the States. But that first review was mentioning me, not DBC. And he thought I did that. Now, even though we still talk, there was a real glitch in our relationship at the time. It was a really weird kind of situation because I would never try to take any shine from him or nothing. Now, the reason I say that is because obviously the Cookie Crew were not well known in the States at all. You know, no one really knew who they were. So to have Daddy O and DBC producing their project, that was the selling point, you know, and the review went for Daddy O instead and said, you know, this is basically a Daddy O, you know, a Daddy O album, which I just found really fascinating. I found really interesting. Uh, in the Guardian article, I want to read some sections out too because I think it's pretty interesting. Our references came from our, this is them speaking. Our references came from our parents, and our parents were the Windrush era. Hip hop is, in a way, introduced us to what was happening in America, but it didn't introduce us to wider issues we faced as black people. For example, we spent a lot of our time doing anti apartheid gigs. We spent a lot of time making sure we were involved with any gig to do with freeing Nelson Mandela as much as we could. We boycotted certain things. We were involved in everything possible that could be against Margaret Thatcher. We've always had that side of us. The music industry in the US wasn't really supportive of such serious messaging, especially by women, so they had to have more of a light touch speaking out publicly. Um, you know, I found that interesting. Like, there is definitely a lot of socially conscious content on this project. Um, but this this move to the US, like, I, 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 I want to know how you feel about it, Charlie. Like, I'll read this little section I wrote here because. It was seen as a defection by their UK fans. Okay, They actually told HPS Music Archaeology, which was an incredible two-hour interview, they were accused of selling out by recording their album in America with American producers and American accents. And they said they got it so bad that they refused to do shows in London because of the poor reception they were getting. The situation became so bad that when they actually had to perform a show in London due to a contractual obligation, their anxiety was so high, they asked paramedics to stand by the stage in case one of them became so over overwhelmed that they needed medical assistance. That's from their own mouth. That's wild to me, but I can kind of see why the UK scene would see it as a defection to leave and then they went back there for their second album as well. They didn't come back to England and record their second album in England. They left again, and then they went back to America and recorded their second album. I, I want to know how you feel about that, Charlie, as someone from London. Um, well, obviously that um, mindset doesn't exist anymore, um, mm -hmm. and probably for the better. And to be honest, in my, in my, in my eyes, it, it comes off as a bit petty, um, but in the same time, I kind of get it in some way. Um, it reminds me of um kind of how uh kind of like how reggae um came into uh, came into the frame um around uh, not a similar time but uh, uh around the seventies um but you know you had the the scar and rocksteady and those were coming through through the uh through the uh through the windrush um, generation 
But then there was artists that were coming through and they weren't sounding obviously like they were from the islands because they weren't. They were born here. So when the second, yeah, when the first, well, first generation Londoners and the first generation, you know, black British came through, um, when they started doing reggae, for example, um, they, you know, they had they had to sound like how they sounded, right? There's no point in like putting on put uh, putting on an accent um, for the sake of uh, because the because the music uh, uh, caters to it. You, know, you have to sound authentic to yourself, and I've always I've always you know believed that if you sound like how you sound like, it's how you it's how you sound. It is what it is, all right. Um, and you know, while I can see why. Um, and at this point, I think I would say that the hip hop community in the UK, um, you know, uh, it, it, it probably wasn't as uh, widespread as it is now. Um, even though, obviously, in the grand scheme of things, it's still I wouldn't say underground, but you know, there's there's still um, community pockets. I'll say, you know, the likes of the likes of London, Bristol, Birmingham, uh, Manchester. Um, even stuff like Edinburgh and Dublin, um, and some and some places in the south like Bournemouth, um, but yeah, you know, it's pockets, right? Not not a widespread community in that in that case. Um, but back then, I can imagine it obviously being much much smaller, uh, much more inside, and to have someone to have a, you know, probably at this point a very top, uh, very top tier talent. Just say, all right, we're just gonna go to America to record our shit. You know, you're gonna feel some type of way, all right. So, you know, in that case, I get it. If there's a community of, um, in you know, just I'm just gonna say a hundred people, just to condense it a little bit. Um, let's just say it's a community of a hundred people. If you're in the top five of that hundred people, and you're, you know, and you, and you, and they consider you, you, know, you can go, so you can go places, you can go places, and then uh, they, and then they just, you know transplant themselves out of your community of 100 then then the rest of the 99 are going to feel a type of way um so uh, i get it i don't i find it in hindsight obviously a bit petty um to consider that like you could easily support them um yeah they chose that that's the thing they chose not to support them right and i can imagine i can imagine the two women being you know very very upset by that because you know they're they they got the links if you got the contacts you got the contacts like why wouldn't you use them why wouldn't you use um you know producer for steps sonic why wouldn't you like you know what I mean? it was like, oh no you know what i'm i'm gonna, I'm gonna leave that you know what i mean i want to say you know you, you, they clearly uh, you know and this is with the accent stuff aside like that stuff not here for it right um that's why i used the reggae example right the accent stuff, you know, of that's that's out that's out of this equation because that's just a non-starter for me personally. Um, if you're not sounding like how you sound, then I don't know. It's just a there's a there's a level of inauthenticity to that. Um, so yeah, there's that. But past that, hey man, it's, it, <laughs> they got contacts. They got the hip hop. They got hip hop music, you know, right there. And they got contacts, so why wouldn't they use it um, to have to exile them in that sense, um, or to or bully them to the point where they feel like they have to self-exile themselves? You know, that's a bit childish in hindsight. That's very childish in hindsight in my mind. Yeah, well, I mean, they orchestrated it themselves. I mean, they went back to America to record their second album and their final album, 
uh, Fade to Black, uh, it was more focused on social issues, especially through songs like Powers of Positive Thinking, Words of the Conscious. They actually told HBS Music Archaeology, I didn't realize this, <laughs> I guess another thing. Um, they said, I didn't realize somebody else could write a rap for you. It was when Guru wrote for us, and I just thought, okay, really? I remember saying to them, but what will people think? And they said, people do that all the time out here. It's nothing. So Guru was like, I'm going to write, and it took him a couple of seconds. So Guru actually wrote a word to the conscious, and DJ Premier produced it. And the duo said that they had gotten to know Guru really well in their time together, and thus when he wrote the track, it came about through conversations they'd had, and it really captured their feelings. They actually had Black Sheep write a track for them, they deemed it too girly and they said that they plucked up the courage to tell them to rewrite it in a different vibe. Um, you know, the criticism obviously persisted. Duo said people around them actually tried to convince them to come outside, to play shows, to drop music because they were so reclusive. Um, they're kind of mute on who the criticism was coming from, but the implication is it was people in the British music industry as well as fans. And this kind of was half confirmed by the story they tell HBS Music Archaeology, uh, they said that recently they were walking down the street and a man came up to them who knew them from around the way back in the, the early 90s and he apologized for how he spoke to about them. And obviously that's not a fan. They knew this person. They knew them by sight. So that's not just some random fan coming up to them. Now around this time, they were engaged in a bit of a rivalry with fellow London hip-hop group, the She Rockers. They tell the interview it was a healthy rivalry, but that the local London scene rallied around the She-Rockers, which again suggests that their move to the US to record both their albums was still being treated with frustration from the local London scene. And they agreed it had a lot to do with their accent, rapping in an American accent, especially being from South London. This section of the interview was fascinating. When they were speaking about the backlash, they explained that they were the first to do it on the level that they were doing it, to go to the US and try to make it big over there. Of course, Moni Love did it after them. Uh, and they felt a sense of frustration that they were the first, but they were expected to be perfect. When they speak on having another rapper write their rhymes, they say how were they to know back then that it would be frowned upon in the future? And they said if Gangstar is writing a song for you, how could you refuse? And then how could you rap his song in a Cockney British accent? And yeah, I guess, but they'd already rapped in an American accent on their first album, so he's not going to write a song for a Cockney British accent on their second album, is it? Like... By the end of the second album and the tour afterwards, they said that the record company wanted them to go full commercial, and they felt like they'd gone as commercial as they could have. And even that, from there, they'd betrayed themselves already by being too commercial. And uh, they said, we felt like we'd given them that, but they wanted chart success, and we weren't going to do that. So the contract ended, uh, and they had some legal complications. It meant that other labels involved in their contract were still pushing them to record music. They actually went back to London, and started collaborating with local MCs, performing local shows, uh, basically returning back to where it all began. They said the whole goal was to rap next to other British rappers and integrate back into the scene. Event, even when they were doing the press run for Fade to Black, they were actually saying one day soon they were going to put the microphone down and, and move on with their lives. Um, they said we were getting ready. We didn't want to compromise ourselves. Every label didn't want us anymore because we weren't doing what they wanted us to do. We had offers from Europe to do stuff, and unless we could do what we wanted to do, we wouldn't do it. Uh, and they were asked if they would ever drop music independently around this time, and they said that wasn't even on our radar. So their transition out of hip-hop, which is the end of the, the basically their career, I mean, they only dropped two albums. It was pretty organic. Their contract with the label ended, and rather than do the, you know, the major label thing uh, and, and try and go even more commercial, 
they actually came back home and tried to reinvigorate their love for the for the genre but as the years progressed and the music industry changed they grew out of it they speak of becoming event organizers in the early 90s creating all-female hip-hop lineups of dancers rappers uh, and DJs and booking them for shows. They said the very last thing they did as Cookie Crew, they were asked by the British Council to go to Uganda and Kenya to work with children uh, who had HIV and to teach them to express themselves through rap and rhyme. So they had a DJ dances and on this trip they said, and I quote, they were telling us these stories of their parents dying and we were sitting in a village just finishing doing a workshop and I turned to Debbie and I said, I don't wanna do music no more. And she said, neither do I. We've gotta do something that's more meaningful. These people are going through things like, what are we doing? We're trying to get another record deal. I just don't want to do that. And she said exactly the same thing. And so they went into the music business itself. They went, they became, they, they went into the industry. Uh, Price told Music Business Insider, even though we were signed to a label and we knew there was a promo team, a press team, a PR team, I still didn't really understand what those roles were. And also nobody that looked like us in those roles uh, worked at the label. I didn't really know what that was. How do you apply for that? I just got on a hustle and I semi reinvented myself. I registered with a bunch of agencies, got my foot in the door with a couple of reception jobs here and there. I just kept getting callbacks from different departments because I was good at whatever I was doing. I ended up in the press department at MCA and I liked it. It was a nice environment. Then there was a round of redundancies, which was a blessing because there was this New York artist coming over to do promo and that was it. Like she just, that's how she went into the music she became an executive and yeah man i it's just a weird end you know it's just just an odd end to going from like being in uganda and kenya to becoming a music executive like i found that an interesting leap yeah um (laughs) i don't want to do music anymore so let me become an executive instead i don't know um Uh. yeah i mean i'll leave i'll leave that um i'll leave that side of it alone but um, as an overall, I feel like it's um, important to just, um, I don't know, find some, not parallels, but just find some, uh, I don't know, minor comparisons that can be that can be taken from this. Because um, obviously you mentioned Money Love, and I feel like that's uh, just a more, uh, just an example of, I don't know, like just ha- how, what, wanting it, having it go right, I guess, uh, in, in that case, that's more of a success story than anything. Um, but, <clears throat> but it's, I kind of just, um, I was trying to think of, uh, I don't know, like a modern day, I don't know, comparison to something of that nature. And I was, I was trying to, I was trying to rack my brain. I was like, I was like Skepta, but yeah, he's, but he was like, you know, 10 years in by the time, you know, Drake was bending them up for doing shit. And so I don't know about that. Um, I was like thinking of someone like, you know, Slow Tie, I guess, um, you know, he did his first album and then he kind of just, <laughs> he kind of just fucked off to America uh, now and again to just you know uh be with uh certain people in that uh in that uh, realm and you know nobody batted an eyelid for that right because it's slow tight you know this this kind of um I don't know there was no there was no doubt about the authenticity right I guess and I guess that's where the I guess that's where the crux of this comes into uh, uh for, for the cookie crew because it comes at a place of authenticity right you have the and I, I meant i meant to you know uh uh i meant to um uh, echo um the sentiment you were talking about um pertaining to the uh pertaining to their lyrics and um you know how they were talking and how they, what they were talking about and you know that's important um you know there's, there's plenty of there's plenty of artists now that i see um 
you know, making statements in some way. Um, but it kind of, but it can sometimes for me ring a bit hollow. No, actually, on what's good uh, next week, I'm going to talk about the uh, Stormzy track. Mel made me do it. I saw a, a good article about it. It's a great so track. I want to talk about, it's a great track, but um, you know, apart from the apart from the uh, the you know the two minute bit of Michaela Cole narrating, um, it's you know it's 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 seven ish minutes of him flexing. <laughs> you know what I mean? Oh. It's, it's not, and and you know it's cool. Uh, you know, rap is in some ways based on braggadocio and he, he does that in spades right um but yeah anyway i'll i'll, I'll get to that one i'll get to that next week um but yeah i think for the cookie crew it's just um i guess a not a cautionary tale but um i guess a tale of uh ha- half and halves where i'm just like okay i fuck with the mu- i fuck with the music in some way i don't fuck with it in another way I fuck with their decision making in one way, but I don't get their con- decision making towards another thing. Like imagine going to imagine going to West Africa, where you know the basis of rap. Um, not to get too historian rap historian about it, but the basis of rap and storytelling especially originates from West Africa. Imagine going to West Africa. Um, wait, where did you say Kenya? Did you say Kenya? East Africa. Kenya and Uganda. Okay, East Africa. But anyway, imagine going to Africa where, you know, rapping, storytelling, all of that originates from to, to try and, I don't know, uh, 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 workshop the use to do that as well. It's just, uh, it's just mind-boggling how the world works and how history uh, uh, repeats itself in some way. But um, regardless, um, you know, going from that to an executive, I, I don't know. Like, it's, just, it's, just, uh, it's just one that I, I feel like I need more information because I was like, that can't just be it, you know what I mean? So, it's like, so you were like, yeah, let's, let's not do music anymore, but then later on just become executive. So it's like, just makes me rub my head a little bit. But hey, man, like, you know, it, it, guys, if you, if you go spin the first album, like I highly, you know, I, I still recommend it. I still feel like it's a really good album to listen to. Um, past all the faults, you know, um, it's, it's 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 good stuff and good example of early UK uh, hip hop, and also you know for for better or worse, a good example of UK hip hop, right? Uh, at the beginning, oh, I've locked up my foot, fuck. And um, yeah, I'm gonna stop talking because uh, my foot is really actually locked up. Fuck. No, I think you make a good point, and you know, I've been a little bit like. I don't know, passively critical of them in this episode, but they were young, man. Like, they were the first through the door in a lot of ways, and expecting them to be perfect is exactly what they said in that interview when I watched them. Expecting them to do everything right in retrospect is just insane. I mean, for a group that, like, from an an area that just, they had no mainstream hip-hop scene, to be working with, like, fucking Stetsasonic and Gangstar, I mean, who's going to turn that shit down? at that age you probably not have any clue what you're doing and then you know yeah man i i think it's it's a bit harsh to be critical of them uh i did think this episode would go in a different direction when i started it but it went in this direction so that's the direction it went in but yeah man cookie crew that's well, what well, was the direction you expected to go i thought it'd be more like uh just more more london posse kind of direction you know <laughs> i thought that that's kind of where we'd be uh where we'd be heading but we uh rodney p era we didn't get that at all we didn't get that like we got and you know the the parallels to the australian scene even today 
2022, like a lot of Australian rappers rapping in American accents because they're Australian. And, and, you know, it's completely different in Australia because our history is fraught and no one really gives a shit about the Australian accent because it's just harsh and, and pretty garbage. So, yeah, like local Australian MCs will get pissed off at you when you're rapping in an American accent, but it's really only because people are gonna consume your music way more than them because Australian accent sounds garbage on a track. So they still do it in our country. You know, it's still very common. Um, But back in London, obviously in the the 80s, there was a vibrant organic hip hop scene developing and, you know, to, to head over to the US and just completely like leave it in your rear view mirror and then to only come back and do shows there and expect that people are going to love and adore you when you're rapping in an American accent and you've left the country to record your music. Of course, it's naive, but who would have said any different? Like if if they wanted to blow up the Cookie Crew and they wanted to be successful, there was no avenue for them to do that in London at the time. So they had to go to the US. So yeah, I feel like they were kind of a bit, uh, their hands were a bit tied in that sense. Um and it was, you know, it was, what, 10 years before London had, like, a vibrant mainstream scene where artists were really blowing up locally, like, properly blowing up, like, you know, making real money. So it was a long time before that would be even be a possibility. Yeah, you're right. I feel like it's um, a good sentiment uh, to leave on, uh, definitely. But, yeah, man, there we go. And, uh, you know, I guess uh, uh, it's, a, it's some leeway um, to uh, some rope to give on that front. Um, at least they ain't rocking Cosby swears. Um, anyway, let's uh, hop on to a lot. <laughs> it could be, could always be worse. <laughs> they could be the hilltop hoods. <laughs> Just think about your life. If your life's going terribly right now, I think. Just think oh boy, yeah. tell you what, it could be worse. Could have put out a song called Cosby Sweater in 2014. Like, oh shit, glad they, I didn't do that. Uh, I know, ignorance is bliss. Ignorance is is bliss all this in all this intellect i've got over here it's a fucking burden man it's hard shit being this smart it's tough <laughs> oh gosh ain't that the truth fucking hell mm. oh gosh so uh what happened uh what happened, uh, uh, shut the t- yeah, what happened uh, with the uh Look, man. Shout out to uh, shout out to Emerson. Shout out to Emerson Royal. Don't stomp you, um, on people's ankles. <laughs> Why did he do that? There was no shout, point. Shout out, to, shout out to Emerson. Um, for not even that, but the but the kind of um, what I call boxer flex. You know, you know how uh, whenever before a fight, boxers are just like talking about, oh, I had a great training. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. And they get other they get other boxers to guess them up in terms of sparring, like. Oh, he was knocking people out left and right. I swear, it's crazy. Da 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 da. You know, I spent this. I went went to here. Did training over here. Two week camp. Da 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 da. Shout out to Emerson Royal for doing that. Um, the football version. Uh, by saying before the game, you'd say if he said it after the game after a dub, then it would have made sense. But he said it before the game that uh, he spent literally a million. For the game itself, trying to get himself ready, with, like cryo chambers and shit. Oh god, hilarious banner! Shout out to Amazon. <laughs> what a debacle that was! Oh man, it was just like yeah, this is total mess. I, I don't know, I don't, I don't have any words. I turned it off at seventy-one minutes when they scored the third goal because my fucking TV was sure. glitching like crazy. 
it was all pixelated i'd already like endured so much to get to that point and then when that <laughs> happened i was like oh wow okay yeah now nah, i'm gonna go start my day i'm not gonna engage yeah. in this anymore <laughs> it was it was just dis- i haven't watched any other games actually so i don't know any other scores but um it was a disappointing game no doubt uh, Chelsea had a good good game, um, but um, RIP Menu uh, just once again just getting absolutely rinsed. Frozen, but... Yeah, I like that. I like that. It's tough being it's tough being a Menu fan these days. Okay. Oh well. Mm. Uh, but yeah, man. Um, oh, oh, actually, I should say this because um, uh, this is bef- uh, before next episode. But um, I'm seeing Yassine Bay next week. Oh, that's cool. Forming, forming black on both sides. I'm assuming front to back. Um, yeah, man, going with a couple of friends. Uh, been looking forward to that for a few months. Um, yeah, it's gonna be fun. And uh, yeah, man, I'm gonna, it's, gonna, it's gonna be some good shit. I haven't seen him live or anything like that, so um, it's gonna be it's gonna be it's certainly gonna be interesting. It's gonna be, gonna be a good listen. Uh, just uh, him sp- spinning one of the you know greatest albums of all time, just uh, from front to back. It's gonna be great. I can't wait to hear Brooklyn like live. Oh, it's gonna be sick. It's funny. Fat booty live. Oof. Yeah, man, this Fabu, mathematics. Oh, God, it's gonna be crazy, bro. It's gonna be crazy. It's gonna be nice. It's gonna be Actually, nice. when I saw, um, because we didn't get a chance to talk about this on our last pod, I actually saw JRD a couple of weeks last week, the week before. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yep. He played Miss Fat Booty because obviously the sample's on the album, and uh, fuck, the crowd went bananas, man. Like, people went crazy, but it was a good show. The energy was incredible, even though it was like a corporate event kind of thing. Like, it was. Yeah, it was like an invite-only kind of one of those things. But, yeah, he got up there and tore the stage down. So shout-out to J.I.D. on that. That was a really great show. Has anyone got the Ben Flex counter up? Uh, I think we've had two to two uh, this episode alone. Like, uh, Is that? What was oh, my other yeah. one? In, in oh, yeah, the Freddy. J.I.D. and then the Freddy. Freddy, private listen no phone look man these aren't these are flexes this is daily this is, ben. this is low tier ben, yeah? this is low tier no it was, that was my ben. first that was my first ever experience at something like that honestly i've never gone to any i've never been to an invite only event and it was fascinating uh i don't know if you guys have ever if you're out there if you've ever been to one of these things i've 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 used to with my de- well you might have like there were a lot of people in there like there were a lot of okay. like it wasn't it wasn't just people in suits, you know. These were influencers and rappers and, right. you know, people on TV and shit. And, right. yeah, it was really interesting. One thing I noticed that was really obvious to my partner and I was the amount of eye contact you made with people. People would stare at you to figure out who you were. So they'd look at you and be like, who is that person? I haven't seen that person at an event before. And like sometimes you'd make eye contact with people 10 times over the course of the night. They'd be so curious because they knew everyone else. Like they'd be like, oh, this this person from here and they'd all be hugging each other and oh, it's good to catch up, blah, blah, blah. Like, but like there were people in there who they clearly didn't know who the fuck they were and it was not confronting to them, but they were just curious. And it was confronting to me because people were just staring at me all night. And I was like, "Stop looking at me like that, man! Like, just relax. I'm, I'm not, I'm not part of this in crowd. I'm not part of the cool crew. So, oh, yeah, it yeah. was, it was interesting. I'll and then Jared, no, go, go. No, I was gonna say that's the only like awkward thing about those kind of events. It's not like I've been to something of that nature where it's like an invite only thing, but like I've gone to like a networking thing and 
I see people that I know of, right? And they've done they've done like work on on things. I've seen them on things. I'm like, oh, wow, that's cool. You know what I mean? And then they're just like within their own squad. They got people around them, and I'm just like standing there, just like on my ones. I'm just like, oh, okay, that's cool. <laughs> it's just it's awkward. It's awkward as shit, man. It's awkward as shit. One other thing, like that, was really interesting was when. You know, I've, every show I've ever gone to in my life, I paid to be there. Like, I was the consumer. You know, I was the person who was buying the ticket. I wasn't... But at this thing, I was the person they wanted there. So it was all free food. It was free alcohol. Um, you know, you were the special person. And the artist, it was such a weird power dynamic. Because, yeah, the artist was important. But the artist was almost there not to get money out of us or to like perform for us like we weren't his fans he was there to entertain us and that felt really fucking weird but like not there to entertain us in like a weird way just like he was getting a bag he was just gonna get up on stage it felt almost like uh, every every artist i've gone to see it's like they knew that their fans paid money to be here that's probably a better way to say it they knew that their art their fans had listened to the album and they knew the songs and they'd paid their own money to come see. JID knew that we hadn't paid money to be there. So he, like, I can't even imagine what that's like as an artist to get up on stage and just be like, I don't know if anyone here fucks with me. And yeah, he tore the stage down. And at some at one point, someone said, play Radar. And he was like genuinely perplexed that anyone would even know what Radar was. He's like, oh, wow, you guys know what Radar is? Like, holy shit. And yeah, man, it, that was that was really interesting to me. That that change in dynamic. Uh, there was definitely a sense of entitlement in the room from a lot of people um, that were just like, "Yeah, entertain us." Like that, the opening <laughs> acts beforehand, like the DJs and the, you know, they were there to just kind of like, I don't know. It's just so weird. It was such a weird dynamic. I've never experienced it before, and I probably won't regularly at all. But yeah, it was it was JID was so close to me too. Like. If I'd taken half a step further, I would have dapped him up because he was dapping everyone up as he walked past them. Um, but it was chill. Like, you know, you would expect... I remember I saw one of my favorite artists, Buck 65 um, and after every show, he used to walk off the front of the stage. That was his thing. He'd be like, at the end of this show, I'm going to walk off the front of the stage and I'm going to stay here and talk to every single person until this event ends, Right. And, you know, once I went, I've seen him three times. And once I went with one of my partners ages ago, like 10, 12 years ago, and she's like, do you want to stay? And I stayed for like 45 minutes and it was very clear he was going to be there for many, many hours. Like it was just not, so I'm like, fuck it, let's go. But with JID, you would expect someone like him to walk off the stage and get mobbed, right? And just everyone wanting to like give him a hug or like, you know, if he's, if he's literally touching people, he's dapping people up, you'd expect people to like, you know, crowd around him and try and get get him to acknowledge them. Eh, a couple of people came up to him, and everyone just kind of went back to drinking and talking and doing their thing. And I'm like, what? Like, this man is a legend. Like, what's going on here? It was, it was, yeah, it was, it was weird, man. It was a weird event. Yeah, I don't know how I'd feel about that. To be honest, that's a weird. Uh, uh, that's a bit of a weird uh, dynamic, I guess. Um, but anyway, we'll keep it there. Uh, leave it there. Uh, uh, two flexes um, on the episode. Uh, ladies and gentlemen just two just two <laughs> yeah, well plenty more to come I'm sure uh, I mean if if we're including them also the shout outs as well um, they did for like three weeks there's about there's about it's about five total right there um, what's but, the you know, shout outs oh you had like uh, you, you like putting shit on your phone during the intros uh, 
and, and shit like that last year. Last year, oh, it's just oh, from uh, from Zay. Yes, yeah, shit like that. Anyway, hey man, well, well, add that to, add that to the counter. Like if if you got it, flaunt it. You know. Okay. And on that note, ladies and gentlemen, on the Fifth M Podcast Network, it's been Diggy Digits. So if you've enjoyed the episodes, I've been trying to say Fifth M. How about the numbers? Oh my I'm god. It's a privilege to be here. It's all love. Hey. You tuned in to hip hop by the numbers. I thought like that wasn't going to download in time, but it came at the <laughs> perfect, perfect time. Yep, Three. Have a good week. Three. Three flexes. Sure yeah, hit double figures by the end of the year, man. Happy UK Black History Month and take it easy. Let's enjoy. All right, peace. Dig and in Digits is produced by me and Ben Carter. The show is edited by me. Music for the show is Pizza and Biddy Games by Bonus Points. It's a short music for the Biddy to use. Socials with Vermont, Hip Hop by Numbers, Bonus Points, and Chill Music will be in the full show notes as well as names of projects, reviews, wherever you're listening. This has been a fifth end podcast and production. Thanks for spending time with us. We'll see you next time. I'm digging in the digits.